Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. For many Canadians, it was a surprise to hear the Minister of National Defence say the federal government can no longer provide lethal weapons to Ukraine for its defence against the Russian invasion. That what we have must be kept in case the CAF requires lethal weapons in large numbers to defend Canada. Disturbing to hear. Um, it is the politician's job to secure weapons for the military on a consistent basis. So what is the situation? Joining us is Mark Norman, Vice Admiral, former Commander of the Royal Canadian Navy and Vice Chief of Staff of the Canadian Armed Forces. Of course, Admiral Norman is retired. Admiral, thank you very much for taking the time. What are we to take from uh, the Defence Minister saying we don't have enough lethal weapons any longer to provide assistance, any more assistance in that regard, to Ukraine? Yeah, well, good afternoon, Roy, to you and your listeners. I think the first uh, and most important thing that we should be interpreting from her comments is that uh, we're seeing the very fragile nature of what I characterize as the bench strength of the armed forces, and that is a result of literally decades of underfunding and um, uh poor decision-making and lengthy processes related to everything from spare parts to uh, procurement of major equipment. And I'm sure we can explore that in more detail if you want. Yes, please share with us uh, what, in fact, is going on. I mean, we all remember that there were exercises, um, military exercises, that took place in the province of Ontario. And this isn't funny, but soldiers were given wooden brooms and told that you know, these are rifles, say bang. That was disturbing, distracting uh, to, I'm sure, the military. So how bad is it then? And you said it's been going on for decades. Are we equipped at all to, to fight? Uh, will the Canadian military have what it requires to fight if it were required to at home? Well, let's start with um, your your story, your anecdote. I mean, obviously, I don't have any firsthand knowledge of that, but I know that stories like that, were, were quite widespread uh, quite some time ago. I think it's fair to say that we have come a long way from that, but still, the problem basically comes down to what I characterize as a culture of risk management. And that sounds very sophisticated and that it's all in the best interest of taxpayers, but ultimately, th this risk management uh, culture results in short-term decision-making with respect to a variety of things, ranging from, you know, um, do we really need all of those uh, spare parts? Do we really need all of those supplies and inventory? Um, can we just cut back on this one training exercise? Do we really need all that ammunition? These types of things. And the, the, the lists litany of, of those types of decisions, and it goes right up to um, what we see in the mainstream reporting on a regular basis are uh, decisions related to major procurement. And fundamentally, what this has created is the kind of shortages that I think your listeners can totally understand um, through the lens of our pandemic experience, where decisions by previous governments for years had resulted in um, the removal of uh, domestic vaccination development capability, uh, no stockpiling of protective equipment, all these kinds of things. So those are things that people can relate to because it's affected them. It's affected their daily lives. Right. So if they can imagine that in the context of the decisions that are made around military, um, both training exercises, the 
readiness uh, of the armed forces, and like I said, everything from spare parts to major equipment. Admiral, are, are all three services, come back to the issue of the equipment and the uh, the problems that you say it's sort of generational, I guess, for many decades, procurement of equipment for the military has been questionable at best. Are all three services under-equipped? And even if one or two have the equipment they need, does a shortage of equipment in even one branch of the military make it difficult, not impossible, to coordinate an integrated military response? Well, yes. The, the short answer is yes. And, and the way you've laid out the question speaks to the fact that, uh, you know, the chain is only as strong as the weakest link. Um, so the there are no uh, special categories or special status with respect to the, the main branches of the Canadian Forces. They're all suffering similar problems. Um, the Air Force's problem is measured in terms of um, poor availability of its aircraft fleets and uh, significantly reduced flying rates based on availability and also based on budget. So that affects the training of their crews. That affects the availability of the aircraft. The Navy has similar problems with respect to the maintenance of its ships. The limited number of people are available. Uh, they can't crew all the ships. They can't get the training they need. These are these are wicked problems by definition, and the Army suffers the same problem. And that's the kind of thing we're seeing right now with respect to handheld air defense weapons and things like that, where we've already basically given up uh, any surplus, if there was some to begin with, um, and we're now at a critical point where we can't give any more away because we just don't have it to give. Um, so it, it is it is a serious problem. It took uh, a long time to get here, and it can't be fixed overnight. No, and as, as you say, um, there's always a question about, do we need this? Do we need that? Do we need this exercise? Do we need to spend this money on, on this? There's money available for other programs the federal government particularly seems to be enamored with, or successive federal governments seem enamored with. But when it comes to the military, there's shortchanging that takes place. And uh, even most recently, Mr. Trudeau in, in Europe was reminded by the head of NATO that, you know, you made a commitment. A certain amount of money was going to be spent on on keeping your military uh, up to date. You better get at it. Um, this must be demoralizing within the within the forces where you just, you know what you need and you're not getting it. Yeah, so um, you're, you're quite insightful in that regard. Yes, uh, the, you know, the, the women and men that are serving in the military uh, know that they don't always have the tools or the opportunities that they should have to um, ensure that they're ready for whatever Canada needs them to do. That is frustrating for them. Um, and equally, you know, going back to the opening part of your question, at the strategic level, these are these are conscious decisions that are made. Um, and it, it's easy to go back and describe in, in forensic terms how we got where we are, but ultimately... Um, decisions are made to spend money or not spend money, and they have direct impacts. And it's not always about equipment. You and I have talked before. I don't like getting into shopping lists of what we should or shouldn't have. But equally, um, even if what we had in inventory today was up to standard and we had enough of it and it did all the right things, the problem would be simply that we're not giving the opportunities necessary to maintain the equipment, to train the people and and all of these things, uh, 
And so that's kind of where we find ourselves. As far as going forward is concerned, um, if we're going to make grand statements about spending more money, then we actually have to spend the money. Um, the commitment doesn't end by simply putting a line item in a budget somewhere and declaring success. This is These are difficult things to achieve. The process is laborious and inefficient, and it takes a commitment to actually deliver on the commitments that are being made. A culture change has to be a culture change, correct? Yeah, in many respects, you're right, because we we do have, as I described earlier, uh, we suffer this culture of um, both a combination, in my opinion, of uh, this issue of risk management and at the sort of strategic level with respect to our ambitions as a nation, we tend to focus on the world we would like to live in, and that that taints how we act as opposed to accepting the realities of the world we actually live in and and acting strategically in that context. And and that's, I think, one of the issues that's playing out right now as we witness the atrocities that are taking place in Ukraine. We're realizing that we don't like this world, um, but we've, in many respects, allowed ourselves to um, get to a point where we can't do much about it, unfortunately. Weapons and weapon systems, Admiral Norman, they're a verb available for purchase from our allies. There's no shortage of equipment if we just decide to get what we require, what we need, yes? Yes and no. And and I'm not being um <laughs> I'm not being uh, difficult here. It's just it, it depends. Some systems are produced um on a regular basis and they're in inventory uh from suppliers or they can be produced relatively quickly. And um and and, and that's what we characterize as off the shelf or or, you know, near off the shelf. Other systems, however, are um, built to order and they're more bespoke uh, or specific to the needs. Um, and so it really depends what we're trying to get. And, and a lot of allies have done similar things uh, to us in Canada. They've kind of cut back on their own allocations. And so even some of the ones that produce equipment, the United States in particular, are not necessarily producing it to the same volume. So that's a long answer. As you know, I struggle with short answers, but it really depends. Um, Trucks and planes and things like that are a little more uh, easily accessible. Large complex items like um, fighter jets and surface combatants or even submarines typically have to be built to order. Yeah, we've, we've had, as you've said, decades, decades to get it done. And for decades, federal governments have not done what what they need to do. And when you think about sending young men and young women into danger, you have to give them what they require in order to be able to carry out their their missions. I, I think uh, you know our military did remarkably well, did exceedingly well in Afghanistan. But if I have this correctly, the government went out and bought what was required for that particular land mission. Uh, but we, we we gather from what the defense minister said. We're not in any, any position to send our young men and women into battle if it became necessary for any protracted period of time because we don't have the, pardon me, stuff they need. Yeah, it, that, that's true. It's, it's accurate. And, and, you know, the, the uh, Afghanistan experience is a, is a useful one because it points to a few things. One, that we were not prepared. We were not prepared materially. 
uh, in terms of the equipment um, that that was available. And to a lesser degree, uh, we weren't as prepared from a personnel and readiness perspective as we could be, but we learned um, on the fly, so to speak. And the system did react because they realized that they were in in a significant commitment. And and now we have, um, if we look at, for example, the battle group in Latvia um, on the front lines uh, of the deterrence mission in, in terms of the eastern front of NATO, um, roughly 500 people, plus or minus, um, and and the effort necessary to sustain that 500 people is quite extraordinary, and they they don't necessarily have all of the equipment that they need, and this is why the minister is in, uh, I would argue, the unenviable position of having to admit that the cupboards are bare. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.